This is the Sooner Schooner Show, a part of the Heartland College Sports Podcast Network. I'm Ari G from 97.1, the sports animal in Tulsa. Before we jump into today's content, I want to remind you to give us a five-star rating and write a written review. Then take a screenshot of the five-star rating and the written review. Send it to Pete Mundo at heartlandcollegesports.com, and he will give you the very coveted Heartland College Sports koozie. So you'll look very stylish when you go out to all your tailgating this fall for OU games. Coming up on this show today, we're going to go back to last week when we talked about OU's linebackers, and we're going to hear from James Hale because there was a name I didn't mention last week for good reason, Uh, but James catches us up on this particular individual. We'll also take a look at OU's receivers, and we'll get a little help from Ryan Aber from the Oklahoman on that And Greg Sankey had some pointed words for the Big 12 and, well, really every other conference in America. So we'll let you hear those, and we'll talk about why OU was still better off being in the SEC than they are in any other conference. So last week, um, as as we're getting ready, all right, we're in the middle of fall camp right now. And as we're getting ready to go into the seasons, one of the things we wanted to do is go position, position group by position group for OU and give you an inside look at how things might shake out this year. Well, last week we focused on linebackers and we went down every single linebacker or at least we thought about every single linebacker on the uh, on the Oklahoma depth chart because linebackers one place where you've got a lot of questions for the exception of for the exception of okay the the exception is Danny Stutzman Okay, we know that Stutzman's going to play. Then after that, you're thinking, man, is it going to be Connor Neer, the, tr- the transfer from Ferris State, D2? Um, are we going to see some of these younger guys, you know, Kobe McKenzie, Kip Lewis? And we we just went we went through the entire depth chart to take a look to see at, at who might be playing for OU this year. Well, I got some people asking me, why did you not mention Jaron Kanick? Which is a fair question. And right or wrong, I looked at Kanick as a one-hit wonder. Because if you think about it, he had the Nebraska game where he was all over the freaking field. I mean, you lost count of how many tackles this kid's was taking. It was the Canick-Stutzman show during Nebraska. Then all of a sudden, Jaron Canick just disappeared. And anybody can have one good game, but it's consistency that makes you a star in college football and makes you a guy that you know talk show hosts will, will talk about and fans will rave about. Well, apparently that one game got a lot, got Jaron Canick a lot of fans, and uh, his social media, by the way, which is just off the charts good. I don't, e- I don't even know how to describe his social media other than he's really good at making mini movies and he's really funny. You know, things like that will win you fans. But is Jaron Canick a guy who's going to be good enough to a win the starting job and play alongside Danny Stutzman, or was it all just Nebraska? Well, we had James Hale from 105.3 CBS Sports in Oklahoma City on our show today on 97.1 The Sports Animal in Tulsa. And here's what James had to say about Canick and who might be playing next to Danny Stutzman once the season starts. I think Jaron Canick actually is going to win that job. Um, you know, I, I know that, uh, you know, uh, Connor Neal is a guy that brought in to share that position with Jaron, but Jaron has done everything that he can do 
even when he got dinged up in the first practice, he didn't miss any practice. And that showed everybody on the coaching staff how much he really wants to play. Because, you know, he banged up an ankle, and he just taped it up, put some dirt on it, spit on it, and went back out and played. And that's probably what he did, too. He's, a, he's kind of an old-fashioned football player. And Tannick is a great athlete, one of the best pure athletes they have on the team. Uh, but he's a converted offensive player from high school. He played Wildcat quarterback in high school and didn't play much defense. But last year, you know, when he didn't know what he was doing and Derek White got kicked out of the Nebraska game, uh, Jaron ended up helping, you know, playing a big role in that defense, winning the game when he finished with double-digit tackles and recovered a fumble. And Brent said he didn't even know what he was doing. He was busting every play, but when he's making every tackle, you just tell him to sick him, go get him. And that's basically what he did. He didn't play much after that, and we all wondered why he didn't play more. Uh, but it's because he didn't know what he was doing. So uh, this offseason, I mean, he hangs around with Danny Stutzman all the time. They're freaking frack. And, you know, he's become much more knowledgeable. You bring in Connor Neal, who has to learn this defense, but he's played a lot of college football on the Division II level. Then you have Kobe McKenzie, who was a highly rated quarter uh, linebacker, coming out of high school, who redshirted last year. And so, you know, you get Shane Witter back, who's a senior or a junior that missed last year, but one of the top five fastest players on the team. And all of a sudden you see the athleticism and how this defense can get better. So, you know, I think Canick's going to start at the mic and Stutzman at the will. Um, I think Connor Neal will be able to play both. Kobe McKenzie backs Stutzman. So you could see a good solid four rotation, five with Witter in there. But Kanek, I think, is going to start, and I think he's going to be the guy that's going to be beside Stutzman. But I think he and Near will be called co-starters, really, and that's in the mindset of the defense of how they're going to be. One of the greatest joys in my life is over, I think it's, what, five years now? I've been co-hosting a show with Pat Jones, former Oklahoma State coach, and Pat has a list that that he gave me. It's, it's a list of essentially, I will call it the, a list of coaching rules from Jim McKenzie, the, the former OU head coach. And one of those rules is don't coach caution into good players. And what that means, if you've got a guy that can go sick him, like James Hale just described Jaron Kanick, then by all means, let him go sick him. Don't overload them with too much information. Don't give them too much to think about when they're on the field. If what they do is attack, sit them up so you can attack. And I'm sort of thinking as I'm listening to James talk about this today is that maybe the reason that Jaron Kanick didn't get off on the field as much after that great Nebraska game that he had wasn't so much because he didn't know what to do. It was because coaches didn't realize, hey, we can't overload this kid. You know, he's got one speed. That speed is all out. That speed is attack. And if we just let him do that, he will make plays for us. And look, not not being there on a day-to-day basis because nobody is is, okay? This isn't just this isn't just a my thing. This is you're having to hear secondhand information from coaches. I say that all the time. But because we're not there, we're not able to view practice from a day-to-day, we don't know how much of it is them, how much of it is him. But this just leads me to believe that if if Kanek can function 
as a guy that doesn't need to think a lot about what he's doing, figure out how to do that. Don't be a manager, okay? And I'll say this for, for, for the coach's sake. Don't be a manager that tries to mold a player in your image. Figure out what that guy does best and then allow him to grow within that. And once you do that, you're rock solid. So whether it's Canick or whether it's one of these young guys or the transfer out of Ferris State that ends up playing next to Danny Stutzman, I'm now rooting for Jaron Canick a little bit more. Okay? And I know that he's picked up a lot of fans simply because of what he did in the Nebraska game, but I like the go Sikkim guys. I like guys that'll just get out there and make plays, which is what OU's looking for, right? Brent Venable says OU's looking for playmakers. Well, maybe you've got one in this kid. Just let him do his thing, and he may serve you well. I mean, because I can't think of a time that that after Nebraska where I watched Jaron Kanick and I saw him just get lost and not know what he needed to do out there on the field. But after a performance like that, um, if he can give you more of that, figure out a way to make that happen. As I promised, we were going to go position by position each week, concentrating on something new. Last week, it was running backs and linebackers. This week, the wide receivers, okay? And that's the the reason I, I only stuck with this group is because they are such a mystery for Oklahoma right now. And, well, I say that. We know Jaleel Farouk is going to be good. We know that Drake Stoops is going to be solid. After that... Does OU have that guy? Does OU have a, a Marvin Mims type? Does Do they have a Mark Clayton type or Ryan Broyles? And the answer to that, at, at least right now, is no. But it doesn't mean that we can't see that guy develop throughout the season. Had Ryan Aber on today on the Pat Jones Show. Actually, we had we had two OU writers on today. Sue us. OU's, OU's two. You got to talk about OU, right? OU's the big hit. You know, if if, the, if we were a rock station, and man, this is going to be an old reference. If we are a rock station, they're the Foo Fighters, okay? Every rock station is going to play the Foo Fighters. We're going to play. We are going to play OU football. Every time we get a chance to talk about it, we do. So we had Ryan Aber on today as well to talk OU football. And here's what he said about how the receivers are looking and one of the big things that may give them an advantage once they get on the field. The, the speed of some of these wide receivers now are, are they going to be able to catch the ball consistently in games is the question, obviously. But uh, they've got a whole lot more speed at that position when you talk about uh, Brennan Thompson, the transfer from Texas, uh, Jaquez Petaway, uh, the, the incoming freshman, and uh, you know, some of the other guys, Andrew L. Anthony, things like that. Well, I think when you talk about the go-to guy, I think you've got to start with uh, Jaleel Farouk and what he was able to do last year, breaking out a little bit. Uh, behind Marvin Mims, the pretty clear number two guy. I, I think that he's the, the obvious one to step up and take on that, that mantle as the top receiver. But I, I think there's going to be some other options of guys who can stretch the field, especially. Um, the, the question is, is which one of them are going to be able to catch the ball? You know, we saw the freshman last year really struggle. Uh, in that regard, especially when you talk about a Jaden Gibson, I think if Jaden Gibson is able to uh, turn that around and be able to finish off some of those plays, he's got a chance to be uh, really good. Uh, but I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing what Jaquez Petaway is able to do this year. Generally, that's a, guy, uh, a spot where freshmen can have an impact. 
and certainly he's got the physical tools to do it. It's just a matter of uh, putting everything together and being able to do it uh, game in and game out. But I think he's certainly got a chance to be a guy who's a major part of that rotation as well. I think you should also have to talk about the tight ends when you're talking about the receivers because that's what tight ends have become, especially in the spread offense, which is what Jeff Levy runs. He runs a version of the spread off. He runs a version of the spread offense. So you've seen tight ends become more receivers than necessarily they are true tight ends. You know, we had Brent Venables. We we, we had a, a clip from Brent Venables last week when he's like, yeah, tight ends. Remember those? Yeah, guys that that were down on the end, end of the line, guys that lined up next to the tackle and blocked. They were blockers first and then receivers second. Well, now they're just receivers. And I'm not even sure that they're blockers second. I mean, you can take some of them like – uh, you, you can take some of these tight ends, you can line them up as a fullback, but most of them want to be split out. Most of them want to have an opportunity to catch the ball. So in saying that, and, and we'll talk a little bit more about the tight end position next week. That's kind of where we'll go next week as we stick with the offense. Tight ends have been a little banged up, but Austin Stogner is a guy, and I, look, I'm using this comparison very loosely, okay? Very loosely. Because I don't think Austin Stogner is really in this guy's category, but I sort of see like Stogner being being your Travis Kelsey, okay, or or being like like Jermaine Grisham when he played at OU. I'm not saying he's as good as those guys. I'm just saying that he might be your most reliable receiver this year. Now, if Ryan Aber is right and the OU receivers have some speed, and you've got some guys that can stretch the field, Gabriel's arm is strong enough to get it downfield. We saw that last year. And he doesn't have a weak arm. He's got some arm talent. He's got enough to get it downfield. It's just a matter of do you have that burner that once he catches it can leave defenders in the dust? Does that guy exist? It sounds like it does at OU, Will we see that develop in the first three weeks? Is that something that'll come along? And, and I think the overall discussion of how good Dylan Gabriel is and how good this team is and, and what we're all looking for, it, it all comes down to the Texas game. By the Texas game, we should know just how good OU is going to be or at least have a good idea of how OU is going to be because, yeah, obviously things can happen throughout the season. But right now, that that's sort of your target date. You want to know about OU and how good they are? Circle that circle that Texas game, and, and we'll know then. But the receivers, where I'm a little different than some people, okay, and James disagreed with me on this today, I don't think you necessarily need a Ryan Broyles. I don't think you need a D.D. Westbrook in order to win a lot of football games as long as you've got guys that are reliable, guys that can catch, guys that can make yards after the catch. And especially when you combine it with the running game that OU's going to have this year. And I'll talk about this till I'm blue in the face. With OU having the running game that it does this year, you don't necessarily need to be going downfield. As long as these guys can figure out a way to make plays, you'll be fine. Now, that is dependent on Jeff Levy, and that is also dependent on Brent Venables. Yes, Brent Venables is a, is a defensive guy, but he's the head coach. And the head coach has the final say in all these things. So, so if Brent Venables tells Jeff Levy to be patient, pound the rock, 
Jeff Levy needs to do that. Back off the RPOs, just a couple of series, maybe a game, but be physical. Run, 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 and then open up the pass game. And you've got Javante Barnes, who's on the Doak Walker watch list. Um, I'm all about some Gavin Sawchuck, thinking that uh, he's going to be an incredible back this year. You've got running backs as good as you've, you've had in a long time at Oklahoma, since P. Ryan and Mixon, okay, since that, that those kind of players. I don't know if they're as good as them, but I think you have to go back there when you're talking about how good these running backs are. If you can pound the rock, you'll be able to stretch the field at some point, but that running game is so key to the offense this year, if for no other reason – keeping the defense off the field. And I think we talked a lot of, we talked a lot about that last week when we were talking about the running backs. Finally, if you haven't heard this, oh, this was freaking hilarious. So conference expansion has has just dominated all of sports talk right now. Okay? That that that's what's going on right now. It's conference expansion because the Big 12 just gets four new teams. You know, over over the last few days with Colorado and Utah and, you know, Arizona and Arizona State coming to the Big 12 and Washington and Oregon going to the Big 10. So that's what we're talking about. And the SEC, everybody's looking to the SEC to see them make a move. Are you going to take Florida State? Are you going to are, are you going to take Clemson? Are, are you going to go from 16 to 18, then eventually 18 to 20 and are we going to have just two power conferences or three power conferences? Well, Greg Sankey was visiting with Paul Feinbaum, and Greg Sankey wanted to clear up some things that have been said about conference expansion over the last few weeks. And one of those was that ESPN completely controlled everything, and that's the reason OU and Texas ended up in the SEC. Well, here, Greg Sankey not only debunks that, but he also takes a shot at the Big 12 in the process. Um, when when we went through the process in 21, Paul, plenty of commentary about ESPN directing these moves. That That's a myth. That's false. It was two universities who wanted uh, a new affiliation and, and had clear reasons. And we evaluated the opportunity. And as history indicates, it's something that we decided will work for us. And we intend to make work in an incredibly successful way. I also think it's important understand this just wasn't about money uh, in my experience in, in life or even in this role certainly you make decisions about money but money should should follow it shouldn't be in the lead um, and, and so those are still part of our ethos part of what we think about we want to maximize our revenue but we have this contiguous group that has a national platform we don't need to be in four time zones to generate interest on the west coast or really across the globe and and so that's been a hallmark um who knows what will happen and that's where i go back to one of my original statements that we're always going to be attentive to what's happening around us uh and perhaps there'll be some opportunity but it needs to be a one of philosophical alignment and it's not something where we're actively out recruiting institutions right now I was under the impression that once the final gun went off during Bedlam this year, that that rivalry, in air quotes, was all but dead. Greg Sankey just poured gasoline on that fire. And even though you're not going to see OU and OSU play each other for a long period of time, unless college football drastically changes here in the, in the next few months, which I guess is always possible, um, if you get like some 64-team league that everybody 
eventually has to play everyone, then yeah, we'll we'll see Bedlam again. But if that doesn't happen, then ser- series is gone. Well, I thought that with the series gone, that would mean the rivalry would be dead. But Greg Sankey, unwittingly or maybe purposefully, just poured gasoline all over that fire. And the reason the reason that is okay is OSU fans are still ticked about not getting into the SEC. And they're always going to be ticked about not getting into the SEC. And if OU fans, uh, of which I am one and kind of a typical OU fan, embrace rooting for the University of Oklahoma like we normally do and, and, and we like we normally act and embrace SEC culture, because this is key to this, OU's got to embrace some of that SEC culture, which I think we can all admit is is pretty arrogant. But if OU embraces that SEC culture and acts towards Oklahoma the way that, or acts towards Oklahoma State the way that other SEC schools acts act towards schools from other conferences, oh, you can imagine that 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 the hatred will only grow from there. Okay, plus, if OU fails, you're going to have to hear it from OSU fans. And if OU succeeds, then it's going to be, well, obviously, anybody can win in that conference. If you can win in that conference, anyone could. We got tired of winning in that conference, so we went to the Southeastern Conference. Uh, congratulations, Greg Sinke. You kept Bedlam alive by by making that statement that the SEC doesn't need to cross more than two time zones in order to attract the attention of everybody in America. And you're right. And that's one of the reasons why Oklahoma, at least right now, was better off in the SEC than they are in any other conference. Sure, if they'd stuck around the Big 12, them or Texas are always pretty much going to be the best program in the the country. Even if Texas is run poorly, it's still a place that can have a lot of success. Success. OU was always going to be in a position to be better than every single one of these schools you could have put together a streak of of six more straight con- or six straight conference championships again if you wanted to. You'd have gone to the playoffs, but you just would not have been as prepared to handle the playoffs without being in the SEC. Plus, again, since you are just in two time zones, you're in the Eastern and the Central. You don't have to worry about that as much. And the travel. Think about the travel now in the SEC. Okay, so you're Oklahoma State. You're going to have to go to Salt Lake. You're going to have to go to Phoenix. Those aren't bad trips, but you're still going to have to go to Morgantown, Virginia. Oh, and think about the Big Ten. Washington Washington has to go all the way to Wisconsin to play at some point. Oregon's going to have to go to Michigan to play. Ohio State and USC will end up playing each other. UCLA is going to have to go to Minnesota and vice versa. I'm sure the kids in Minnesota would love to go to L.A. I don't think the kids in UCLA are looking forward to going to Minneapolis or wherever the hell Minnesota Soda is located. The university is located anytime soon. But think about where you get to go. And, it's, and all these trips are drivable. It's Knoxville. It's Oxford. It's Baton Rouge. It's Tuscaloosa, Alabama. It's some of the most desirable places for fans to travel. Plus, it's not going to take that much out of you. OU won. They won conference expansion. It took a while. It took Texas screwing over the Big 12 and Texas getting the Longhorn Network to eventually get there. But OU won conference expansion and the SEC 
one conference expansion as they always do. The Big Ten may be making more money, but they're much more spread out. Trust me, I would rather be in the Southeastern Conference than the Big Ten all day, every day, and couldn't be happier that OU's moving there. I hope you share the same opinion. If you don't, that's cool. Uh, you can hit me up on X about that. That's at Sports Radio APD. I'd love to uh, love to hear it. Um, as I said, next week we're going to take a look at the tight ends. And until then, may God bless you and your family. As the great Jackie Moon always says, everybody love everybody. Uh, to quote Don Cornelius, love, peace, and soul. And I do want to remind you, please give us a five-star rating. Write a written review. Tell us what we can be doing better. Send both those to Pete Mundo at heartlandcollegesports.com, and he'll send you back a Heartland College Sports koozie. All right, you got all that. We love you. Boomer Sooner. We'll talk with you next week.